I want to say a word of welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. My name is Alex. Really glad that you're uh, here for the first time, whether you're in person or online. Uh, we're really uh, just thrilled that you're joining us, especially if it's been a long time since you've been in church or maybe ever, like first time ever, been in church. Thank you so much for being a part of things here. What we're all about is really simple. We're just about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good in Jesus' name. So we hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. This summer we're doing a, a series called Signature Moments. Uh, almost all of us have a friend or family member who, uh, who we love and know really well and who has a story or two that sort of encapsulates their quirks, right? Like the, what, how they behave, things that they do, or maybe how wonderful they are. And often those stories get retold and retold over and over and over again, right? At Thanksgiving or family gatherings, you sort of just tell these stories of these signature moments and stories of what people have done and how they behaved and sometimes making fun of them in love, right? Well, throughout the scripture, God has his own signature moments. He's got signature ways he meets with people over and over and over again. And every story is a custom story and every job is a custom job. And yet there's these patterns, there's these principles that sort of keep surfacing over and over and over again that tell us and demonstrate who God is, how good God is, how much he loves his people, and the types of things he might do in our lives. And so we're going to spend this summer going literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation, looking at God's signature moments with all these different people so that we might get practice, that we might begin to have eyes to see how does God meet people, particularly in times of transition, challenge, stress. Because here's the thing, we don't want you to miss your God moment. We don't want you to miss your God moment. And what we think is, we think that, oh, if God was at work in my life, I would know it. But don't be too sure. Because very often, God acts in ways that we don't expect. Very often, God won't get on board with our agendas, our plans, right? Very often, God does things that are counterintuitive to us. And so very often, we miss it. So all summer long, we're going to be sort of camping out in these signature moments of how God's at work so that you and I don't miss stories of grace, mercy, redemption, that he's writing in your life and in my life. We're going to invite you to be wide open to God writing his signature moment in your life as well. So today we're going to be in the story of Joshua. If you're new to the Bible, Joshua's in the Old Testament, about 1400 B.C. And the backstory behind Joshua is way before Joshua, the people of Israel were a slave nation in Egypt. For over 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. The people cry out, God raised up Moses. Moses goes to deliver God's people out of the land of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, not too excited about letting his slave labor go. And so through, through Moses, God sends a series of ten plagues. And finally, the Pharaoh relents and releases the slaves. Moses leads thousands and thousands of people out of Egypt towards God's promised land. Uh, after the people leave, the Pharaoh has slave release remorse. It's kind of like buyer's remorse. He's like, oh, I just, let, I just let all this free slave labor go. And so he sends his armies to go chase down the people of Israel. So the people of Israel are at the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's armies are coming along. And God says, lift up your staff and I'll part the waters. And so God parts the waters. The people walk through on dry land. Pharaoh's armies come after them. The waves come crashing in on them. And the people are finally set free. That was their signature moment for Moses and for the people of Israel as they're fleeing from slavery in Egypt. But the people in the desert, they rebelled against God. And so for 40 years, they wander in the desert while a whole generation, including Moses, dies off. 40 years. They could have done that trek in a handful of weeks. But they spent all these years kind of as the whole generation dies out. 
And so where we're picking up today in the story of Joshua, we're, we're on the doorstep of the promised land. And the whole, this whole new generation of people is getting ready to step into the land and the place that God promised them. There's just a couple of problems before them. Problem number one is there are armies and nations and fortified cities in the land God promised them that are stronger than them and better than them. The odds are not in their favor as they look at the promised land. The other problem is a barrier, a very tangible, practical barrier, the Jordan Rivers between them and the promised land. So they're on the doorstep of the promised land on the other side of the Jordan River, and that's where we pick up today in Joshua chapter 3. Here's how the story opens up. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Now, if you're not much of a Bible person, but if you've seen Indiana Jones, you know the Ark of the Covenant, okay? There it is. Uh, it's a small box, gold-laden. They have the original Ten Commandments in there, some other kind of artifacts from their time. So the priests are carrying this. Not, it's not a big box. It's a pretty small, decent-sized box. And that's how they kind of traveled uh, throughout. That's, that's the presence of God among them in their so there's a, to follow this ark as the priests are carrying it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's about 3,000 feet between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for the Lord will do amazing things among you. Well, I've got... One kid who just finished his freshman year of college, right? So big summer, first summer back. One kid finished his freshman year of college. And what that means is when he was doing college tours, he was doing college tours during the battle days of COVID. Remember those lazy, hazy days of COVID back in well, distant memory, right? But when, when you're doing a college tour during COVID, was, it wasn't really much of a tour. It was called a self-guided tour, a.k.a. here's a map, go figure it out. Right? Like, no one's telling you anything about the college. No, it's just a handful of buildings, right? So we would do these college tours, these self-guided college tours, and they were pointless. It was like, it's just a bunch of buildings. You don't know anything about the personality, the flavor of the school, just looking at a bunch of buildings on a college campus. It was kind of a waste of time. Now, I've got a junior in high school who's also going through the college search process and taking all my money in the process as well the next few years. And now that the blessed days of COVID are over, she's actually getting guided tours, right? It's a and it's a totally, now these are college students, so the quality varies greatly, right? But it's still a much better experience to have someone who knows where they are, knows the story, knows how to get around, can tell you a little about the campus and the majors and all the different things about the place. Having a guide when you're in a place you've never been before is incredibly helpful. It changes the whole experience. The people of Israel have never been this way before. They're getting ready to go to the promised land. They have no idea What's, what's, up, what's in front of them? And so what Joshua and the officers say is, go follow the presence of God. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, and the priest carrying it, move out from your positions, follow it. Then you'll know which way to go since you have never been this way before. The Ark of the Covenant, that was God's presence with them. God's presence among them. And so as the people are on the verge of the promised land, what Joshua says is, you have no idea where you're going. Fix your eyes on God. Fix your eyes on the Lord. Sometimes you come to a crossroads in your life, right? And sometimes you come to a crossroads or a problem and you're like, oh, I've been here before. I know what to do. I've got some hard-earned wisdom. And that's a great thing, right? To put, put hard-earned wisdom to work whenever you're in a space where you've been before. That's a fantastic thing. But every so often, and some of you may be here today, you come to a problem 
You've never been here before. Don't know what to do. And the best thing to do when you've never been here before and you don't know the way is to fix your eyes on the presence. Ask God to show you. Where are you? How should I go? Where should I go? Because I've got really, really good news for you. No matter what kind of challenge some of you are facing right here, right now, especially if you've never been this way before, I've got really good news. Wherever you go, God got there first. Wherever you go, God got there first. Whatever problem you're facing, God got there first. He is always with you. He is always for you. And so when you're in a place that you're facing a problem or a challenge that you have never seen before, never been there before, spend the time to fix your eyes on the Lord, to look for him. That, that prayer might sound something like this. God, never been here before. I don't know the way. You got here first. Show me your presence. I will follow you. God, never been this way before. I don't know the way. You got here first. Show me your presence. I will follow you. Now, there's a couple kind of preconditions for this prayer, right? A couple of things you have to sort of get your mind around. First off is the humility to admit that you don't know the way and you need help. Now, some of you have never said, I need help before in your life. Maybe you're sitting next to that person right now. Some of you remember back in the day before there was like phone maps and everything, and, and, and especially, <clears throat> guys, you wouldn't stop to ask for directions even if you needed help, finding directions. Remember that? So again, maybe you're sitting next to that person. The humility to say, I don't know the way is a prerequisite. Listen, if you're not willing to say, I don't know what I'm doing, you might, not, you might miss a signature moment of God in your life. The humility to say, I don't know the way. The second thing that you're committing to, if you pray kind of a prayer, like, hey, God, I don't know the way, and I'll follow you, just show me where you're going. The second thing you're committing to is you're going to follow God's presence before he tells you where he's going. Are you willing to do that? Before God gives you direction, before, even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if it sort of feels fuzzy or weird, if God says, I'm moving this way, and you're like, I don't like that way, what you're saying at the very beginning is, hey, before you even show me which direction you're going, I am willing to follow you no matter where you're going, no matter where it takes me. Because, okay, spoiler alert. God's presence is going to lead them into a miracle. The people of Israel are going to experience a miracle. I, I got to be honest with you. You're not always going to experience a miracle. You don't always get a miracle. What you can always get is God's presence with you. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? If God's presence is with you, and you're following God's presence, and the seas don't always part, and the medical problem isn't always cleared up. The marriage isn't always healed. But God is still with you. Is that enough for you? People of Israel are at a place where they don't know the way. And signature moments in our lives and in their community often happens when we acknowledge, I don't know the way and I want to know where God's presence is. And I'm willing to follow that presence wherever it leads me, wherever it might take me. I'm willing to be with the Lord. Now. That's all well and good for the people of Israel, right? Because they've got the ark, right? They've, they've got the physical manifestation of this ark in front of them, and that's how they know where to go. What do we do? We don't have an ark, right? What do we do when we don't know the way, and there's, we don't even know where God is or how to look for him? How do we find the presence of God? 
many years ago, it was uh, a couple days leading up to my then nine-year-old youngest daughter's birthday. For, she's nine, and at nine, you're counting down the days to your birthday for like six months, right? We've been on a countdown clock for six months for her birthday. So this was like two days before her birthday, and I'm tucking her into bed, and I, and I wish her happy birthday, Eve, Eve, right? Happy birthday, Eve, Eve. You do this, right? It's like birthday, Eve, Eve, then birthday, Eve, then birthday, right? This is a normal thing, right? Okay. So I, so I say to my daughter, Emma Kate, happy birthday, happy birthday, Eve, Eve, Emma Kate. And she looks at me with this really pensive face. And this is very kind of typical of her. She's like, Dad, sometimes I'm so excited about my birthday. And then it comes and it happens and it all goes so fast. And I feel like I miss it. And I have this moment. Have you ever felt like you missed a big day before? Like you were there, you were physically there. But man, it happens so fast, and it's like kind of a blur, and you're like, you just want time to stand still. You want to soak it all in, but it, 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 you know it's important, you know it's significant, and you just can't absorb it. And it's like, oh, I can't believe how fast that went. So that night on birthday Eve Eve, we prayed that for her birthday, me and her would have eyes wide open to soak in all the goodness, all the joy, all the celebration, that we would sort of receive the gift of her birthday together as best we possibly could. You can have a big day and miss it, a big event and miss it. Joshua is super confident that God's going to do something. He, he says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, part of what's interesting about this is Joshua doesn't know yet what God's going to do. He doesn't have the plan. He gets the plan after he says this. He's just confident God's going to show up. He doesn't know how, doesn't know what God's going to do. He just says, I think God's going to show up. So consecrate yourselves. Be ready so you don't, because you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss what God's doing. So consecration just means simple. Set apart for a special purpose, a particular purpose. Now, there's a couple of ways in the Old Testament particularly, but throughout the scriptures, consecration kind of gets played out or why people consecrate themselves. The first one is consecration is so that sin doesn't block the work of God in us and through us. That is that we are purifying ourselves. So consecration in the Old Testament sometimes looked like additional sacrifices. Sometimes it looked like times of prayer. Sometimes it looked like times of fasting. Fasting from something good like food for the sake of something better like God's presence, God's work among us. Consecrate yourself so that sin doesn't block the work of God in us and through us. That the spirit continues to work in us and through us. The last few months, I've, been, I've, I've had a, a, a new kind of prayer. Every so often, I feel tempted to sort of say something I shouldn't say about someone else, talk bad about someone, or gossip or whatever. And sometimes, sometimes I just talk, because that's what I do. But sometimes the Lord kind of catches me. I have a little check in my spirit, an invitation to pause and pray first. And the quick prayer that has been my prayer for the last six months is, I want the Holy Spirit more. I might say this thing that might be funny. I might look at it in front of somebody else. I just want the Holy Spirit more. I want God's Spirit at work in me more. Not that I'd lose the Holy Spirit every time I talk bad about somebody or whatever. But I, wanted, I don't want any of my sin to block what the Spirit wants to do in me and through me. I want the Holy Spirit more. God's work in me more. And so I want to consecrate myself so that I don't block the Spirit's work in me. So that the Spirit might work freely in you and through you. That's one way consecration plays out. Another way the consecration is, or another way consecration plays out, is it's an invitation to participation in what God wants to do. Invitation to participation in what God wants to do. Every time you've prayed for anything and God has answered it, guess what? That's how God designed the universe. I don't know why it's clunky. Why does God rely on people like us to do his work? I have no idea. Except he made us in his image. He made you in his image. He says, I actually want to win this game. He created this game called the world. 
He makes people in his image to say, you're going to be my instruments on this earth. I'm going to make you kings and rulers and priests on this earth. That is who you are. And every time that you give yourself over to the Lord, you are doing exactly what God made you to do. And even when he wants to do a miracle that you could never do in your own power, he still wants to involve you and me in his work. Isn't that great? Isn't that crazy? That you might contribute in some way to creating a spiritual climate for God to do a miracle. Every time you consecrate yourself, give yourself over to prayer or in a particular way, you are creating an environment. You're participating in the work that God wants to do. It's an invitation for us to be men and women living up to who God made us to be, kings, priests, that you might change the world and that God might change the world in you and through you. Consecration is I'm going to give myself over more to God to be a part of whatever he's doing in the world. A third way that consecration gets talked about in the scriptures is that, it's, that you might be prepared, be prepared to see that you might not miss what God's up to. Because just like my little girl, you can be in the middle of a big day and miss it. You can be in the middle of God doing a miracle and miss it. God can do amazing things and you could not see it. This happened to Jesus all the time. Jesus would be a, in a huge crowd. He would heal someone. Half the crowd, three quarters of the crowd would break out in worship and praise. Other people in that same crowd seeing the same miracle say, we got to kill that guy. Same miracle, different hearts. And if your heart is gunked up with cynicism, pride, self-righteousness, spiritual apathy or ambivalence, you could see a miracle and still miss God. Consecration, clean out the gunk in your heart so you don't miss God. Consecrate yourselves so you don't miss what God's up to and what God's doing. This might be a new category for you. Might be a new category for you, but I want to invite you to consider consecrating yourself, to, to stepping in in a really, a much more deliberate way for some period of time, maybe over the summer, that you might be a part of what God might be up to in you and through you. Let me give you a few examples. Back in February, we had a, uh, a series, we're wrapping up a series called Living Supernaturally. You might, some of you might remember that. We're talking about sort of just the Holy Spirit and God's work in the world, spiritual work and that kind of stuff. And we closed up that series with a day of prayer, like a service where we were praying for people to get a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, fresh work of the Holy Spirit. And about 11 days out, 10 days out, I had a sense from the Lord that this exact same call for me to consecrate myself because God wanted to do amazing things. And so, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I started getting up way earlier. I doubled my time in prayer. I started getting up much earlier, and I doubled my time in prayer in the 10 days leading up to that morning where we're going to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit to ask God to do something. The first, from the moment I woke up, the first morning I woke up early, this, this hardly ever happens to me, God gave me a passage of scripture, like literally a verse. It's, the verse was, the words were, rend your hearts and not your garments. Now, I knew that was scripture. I didn't know where it was from. So, of course, I Googled it. What else do you do? Rend your heart, not your garments. That is from a passage of Joel 2. Do you know what Joel 2 is about? Joel 2 is about the prophet Joel in the Old Testament declaring God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. It is the passage Peter quotes in Acts 2 on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit falls on 120 disciples and the Holy Spirit just starts to go like crazy and kick off the whole, change the whole world through the church. It is the story of the Holy Spirit falling on all God's people. And God gave me that verse, that chapter, 10 days out. I'm like, oh, I'm all in on this. This is great. So for 10 days, I'm just like, I am all in. I'm praying. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm praying all the time. I'm listening to worship music nonstop. I'm like really, really, really stoked in. I'm really locked in. I'm like, God, would you please just pour out your Holy Spirit in our community? And then that Sunday morning rolled in February. And you know what it was? It was the rainiest Sunday in human history. 
It was kind of dark outside. It was kind of glum. And we had a nice service in here. We prayed and people had a good experience and God moved. But it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't like signs and wonders and all kinds of stuff. It was like, it was a good Sunday. It was fun, but it wasn't anything amazing. And I left. I was like, what gives? It's kind of a letdown. It's a lot of noise for not much, not much pop. And as I was processing that and praying about it, and as I continued to read in Scripture, that kind of thing, I got some breadcrumbs in Scripture, had some good conversations, some good prayer. My sense was this wasn't about one Sunday in February. But coming to the Holy Spirit, new works of the Holy Spirit, that God just wants to do something new here at Chatham Community Church, 2023 into 2024. God's just doing something new here. And so I've spent the last several months just praying in that, trusting it, believing it. God, I believe you want to give us the Holy Spirit in new ways and fresh ways. Would you do new ministries? Would you raise up new volunteers? Would you heal people? Would you do new signs and wonders? Would there be new fruit, new fruitfulness in our church community? God, would you do something new? Would you grow something new? Would you do something new? I don't know what that looks like, right? Just like Joshua. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I'm praying and believing that God really wants to pour out his Holy Spirit in our community in a new way. And so I want to ask you, would you join me in praying for that for this summer, 2023? Would you join me in praying for God to do a new thing here at Chatham Community Church? Would you maybe, if you feel led, consecrate yourselves so that the Lord might do amazing things here at Chad Community Church? Again, don't know what that might look like. I don't know what that is, what that amazing thing might be. But would you take a step, some sort of a way, where you're just praying a little bit more for this community in a particular way? Maybe, maybe you drive by here all the time. Maybe once a week when you drive by here, could you, just do a, could you just pop into the parking lot, just do a prayer walk around the building, just ask God to give us more of his presence, more of his spirit. Would you just pop by and pray? Maybe you're walking in your neighborhood, and maybe you need to ask God, God, maybe, what if you just walked around your neighborhood and just claimed every house in Jesus' name? What if you, what if you said, I want, I, want, I want revival, I want salvation, I want love, I want grace, I want redemption to be written in that house, and that house, and that house. Just read off every number as you walk by. God, would you do some redemption there? Maybe you get together with friends, and maybe you're in the same small group. Maybe just pray for your small group as you relaunch in the fall. Maybe pray for all of our small groups to be places where the spirits at work. Would you just, would you just ask God... To pour out his Holy Spirit into our community in new ways here at Chatham Community Church. Would you consecrate yourself and just dedicate something, a little bit more time, a little bit more energy. Uh, maybe something that you could do that would sort of stepping in a little bit more deeply into what God might do here as a community. And we're going to hold that loosely and say, God, would you just show up and do what you want to do. And then as we head into summertime 2023, is there a place in your own personal life where you long to see the Lord do amazing things? And is there a step of consecration that you might take to participate in? Remember, consecration is in some ways cleaning the gunk out so that your heart's open to what the Spirit's doing. It's also cooperating, participating, inviting God to sort of work in you and through you. It's also asking God to sort of, hey, get rid of any sin in me that would block your work through me. It's just, would you consecrate yourself? Is there a place in your life with a strained relationship, there's a medical problem, there's family dysfunction? No one has family dysfunction in here, right? All perfect families, right? Is there a place where things aren't right, where you're longing for the Lord to do amazing things? Would you consecrate yourself in some way this summer? Again, what, and what step might that be for you? That could be, uh, that could be fasting from something. It could be food, but it could be something else. It could be a TV show or some other space where you're trying to give more time to the Lord. You're just giving more real estate to God so that God might have more of you and might pour more of himself through you into the world. Is there a way that you might carve out a little bit more real estate in your time, in your life, in your heart, in your schedule? To ask the Lord to do something amazing that you're longing for in your own life. 
You don't want to miss what God's up to. Joshua didn't want his people to miss what God's up to. So he says, before he even knows what God's going to do, he says to the community, consecrate yourselves. God's going to do amazing things among you. And then God gives him the plan. Here's the plan from Joshua 3, starting in verse 7. He says this, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Because Moses was the rock star celebrity guy that like led the people out, right? So this is like, he's replacing a legend. And so he's like, I'm going to show the people I'm with you just like I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go, stand in the river. That's the plan. Priests, go stand in the river. Now Joshua turns around and says to the people, why God's doing this? Joshua said to the Israelites, come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you'll know the living God's among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. See. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go to the Jordan ahead of you. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Remember, two things stacked against them. The first one is they've got the promised land, but there's people in that promised land who've got fortified cities and walls and bigger armies than they have. Have you ever been in a place where the odds were stacked against you? It's really helpful to have God on your side of the equation when the odds are stacked against you. So for, and if you're Joe or Joseph being an Israelite, this is how you know that God's for you, right? God's going to part the waters for you. It's going to be awesome. So if you're Joe and Joseph being an Israelite, this is really cool. Because your parents told you the story of the parting of the Red Sea, this amazing moment. Now you're going to have a story to tell your kids and your grandkids, I was there when God parted the Jordan River. So if you're like average Israelite, you're excited. If you are a priest, on the other hand, you're bummed. You're like, oh, excuse me, Joshua, Mr. Sir, I don't think I heard you correctly. See, the last time God did this with Moses, you know, the guy that God really loved, he sent a wind and the waters parted first and then we stepped in. Remember that? I think you just said we have to step in first and then the waters will part. I think you got the order of operations backwards. Let's go check on that. Thank you very much. To which Joshua replies to you, you heard me right. Last time God did this miracle, he parted the seas first and then we walked through on dry land. This time, you, we, meaning you, are going to have to step in first and trust on the other side of that small step of obedience that God's going to show up. Will you do it? See, sometimes we're waiting for the miracle, and God's waiting for you to take the step of faith to initiate that miracle. Sometimes we're waiting around for the miracle, right? Sometimes we're waiting for the miracle to show up. God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? And God's waiting for you to take a small step of faith to initiate the miracle that he wants to do because God delights to involve people made in his image to do his miraculous work, even if what you're doing isn't especially miraculous, but it's really, really hard. Sometimes we're waiting around for the miracle. And God says, no more waiting. Take a step of faith. Trust me on the other side of that step. I'm going to show up and do something new. Here's what happens next. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Flood stage. This is adding insult to injury. It's like bad enough I have to do this thing, but there's also this like flood stage. So if I'm a priest on ark duty that morning, I'm calling in sick. Stomach ache, whoo-hoo, something I ate, sorry, sorry Joshua, I'm out today. But somehow, even with the Jordan flood stage, they found four priests who are faithful enough or foolish enough or both to follow God's directions. And here's what happens next. 
As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the, the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap distance, a, a heap, a great distance away at a town called Adam. That's about 18 miles to the north of where they are in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So here's what you got. You got four guys, two in the front, two in the back, carrying the ark on poles. First two guys step into the water. It's squishy between their toes, right? Waters are high. And you know what's happening as they step into the water? You know what looks like it's happening? Nothing looks like it's happening. Water's still high. Robes are getting wet. They take another step into the water. You know what it looks like is happening? It looks like nothing is happening. Water's still high. Still looks overwhelming. The front two guys take a third step into the water. At this point, the back guys step in for the very first time. Do you know what it looks like is happening? Nothing looks like it's happening. Water's still high. It's still cold. It's overwhelming. It looks like nothing's happening. But do you know what God is doing upstream? 18 miles to the north. You know what God's doing? He's working a miracle. Doing something they couldn't done themselves. If you're here this morning and you've taken a step of faith, you've taken a risk of some sort that you feel like God called you to, and you feel like, I'm not seeing anything. Where is God? How come God isn't showing up? I've been sent here to tell you some really, really good news. God is an upstream working God who delights to create downstream miracles. God is an upstream working God who delights to create downstream miracles. He delights to move, to make a way where there was no way. And so this morning, if you're staring down a step of faith and the waters look like they're high and at flood stage, it feels overwhelming or intimidating, the call is to take the step and see what God might do. And if you've taken the step and the waters are still high, it still looks like nothing's happening, God hasn't shown up and you're asking, where's God, where's God, where's God? Be strong. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, be strong, courageous, take the step, find friends, get people in the water with you, have, have some other priests in there praying for you, holding you up, encouraging you, be strong and wait on the Lord. He's an upstream working God who delights to create downstream miracles. Here's how the story closes. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by till the whole nation completed the crossing on dry ground. This is God's signature moment with Joshua, this whole nation of Israel. It's there to teach them and to help them to trust that the same God that just parted the waters is going to be with them as they then face more obstacles and more challenges and battles ahead. See, God's signature moments are never just for the moment. They're to create a bank, a memory bank, spiritual memory bank of how God's been faithful in the past. That same God will show up in the future. The same God that showed up in the past will show up for you in your future. The same God who has showed up for you in your past has already gone ahead of you and is waiting for you in the future, no matter what you're staring down, no matter the challenges ahead of you. Today's wildly important take-homes. That's what invites you to help set the stage for a signature moment. You can't generate signature moments, but you can create the set the stage, preparation for the signature moment. First off, seek and follow the presence when you don't know the way. This requires some humility. God, I don't know where I'm going. 
I'm a little lost. Show me your presence. And here's the deal. You might not get the miracle, right? No promises of miracles. Here's the promise. The promise is God himself. Is that enough for you? The presence of God with you. That's the greatest gift he can give us. Secondly, consecrate yourselves. The Lord will do amazing things among you. I invite you to join me here praying for Chatham Community Church. I invite you to ask the Lord, hey, what amazing things might you do to bring healing and renewal, restoration, renovation to my heart, to my life, to my job, to our financial problems, asking the Lord to do something among you. What if you spent a few days over the next month, maybe what if you picked uh, uh, some, some activity, something you could do this week that might be a step of consecration, giving more real estate of your life and your time and your heart and your mind over to the Lord that he might do more in you, through you. Sometimes we're waiting on the miracle to happen when God says, I want you to take the step of faith. And then I'll initiate the miracle. I want you to initiate. I want you to take the step in this risk. Is there a step God's calling you to take to step into the waters and see what might happen? Even if the waters feel like the flood stage and all these things are stacked against you. And then finally, God's an upstream working God who delights to create downstream miracles. If you are already in that space where you've taken that step and you're waiting for God to show up, so glad you're here today. God hasn't forgotten you. He's here for you. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. There's all of today's wildly important take-homes there on one slide to kind of capture and remember. And this will be on the printouts on the way out for my friends. One more tag before, before I wrap up. About 1,400 years after this, the perfect Joshua shows up. And the perfect Joshua, everywhere he goes, he's doing amazing things. At one point, people say, he does everything well. He's healing people. He's teaching. He's doing all kinds of stuff. You know what he says? I'm only doing whatever I see my father doing. He's just following the presence. Wherever God goes, he goes. Wherever the spirit leads him, he goes. And he just does whatever he sees God the Father doing. He's following, fixing his eyes on the presence. Before he starts his big public ministry, you know what he does? He spends 40 years, 40 days, not 40 years, 40 days in the wilderness. Do you know what he's doing in the wilderness? He fasts, he prays, and he fights against Satan and against temptation. He is consecrating himself for the three most consequential years in human history, changing human history forever. As he leaves the wilderness, having consecrated himself for 40 days, the, the scriptures write, he left the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I have no idea, except more of God's spirit was upon him than when he went in. There's more happening, more power, transformation. There's stuff he's doing that he could not have done apart from that consecration. He's doing essential work to reverse the curse. He does all kinds of miracles. But when he calls his disciples, he's like, I'm not the only one going to do miracles. I'm going to give you power, disciples, to cast out demons. You're going to do all kinds of miracles. You're going to do greater signs than I did. Don't wait around for me to do those miracles. You're going to go do the miracles yourselves. I'm blessing you in my name to go change the world, be an instrument of my grace and mercy. And then in one of his most signature moments, he's in a garden to redeem the garden. And he's crying out to God as he's sensed a call to follow the Father all the way to the cross, he asks God, is there any other way? And the Father says to him, there is no other way to redeem this story than for you to lay down your life. And so Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And so he steps into the Jordan at flood stage. He puts himself up on that cross, surrenders to it. And the waters don't part. They swallow him. And it looks like the God who made those promises didn't come through. But Jesus had climbed up on that cross with a promise from God in his heart that if he surrendered his life, the Father would raise it again. And so he goes into the Jordan 
at flood stage, gets consumed by it. It looks like darkness won. But on the third day, God came through, raised him from the dead, and resurrected him as king of kings and lord of lords. He is the perfect Joshua who has done all these same things in order to experience, in order to experience his own experience with God the Father through signature moments, and then to create a way, to make a way where there was no way for you and for me to live out his redemption story in your life, in my life. And so my friends, I want to invite you to seek after the presence and go wherever he leads. Consecrate yourselves. Give space in your life over to the Lord in whatever way it makes sense, and whatever your next step might be to do that. Sometimes we're waiting for a miracle, and God says, I want you to take the step of faith first, and trust me, I'm going to show up. Trust me, I'll be with you. And when you're stuck, and when you've taken the step and things aren't moving, just remember, God's an upstream working God who delights to do downstream miracles. He did it for Joshua, does it for Jesus. He invites you to enter in to the same economy, the same story, too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the perfect Joshua, for being the one who makes us brave. Thank you so much for following the presence of the Father, for being courageous and strong enough to go into the difficult seasons, into the darkness, into the darkness of death to redeem all of it. Father God, I pray for my friends who are here who are at a crossroads facing a problem they have not faced before. They don't know the way. Would you give them eyes to see your presence? Would they be willing to step back from the problems and consecrate themselves, be open, clean out the gunk so they can see you more clearly? Lord Jesus, for my friends who have stepped out in faith and are waiting and waiting and waiting for you to show up and do something, Lord, would you meet them? Would you give my friends here friends, priests to stand in the waters with them, that they are not alone? Most of all, Jesus, that you would be with them. Lord Jesus, would you make us brave? Would you call us out, take steps of faith and risk? Would we step out into those places? trusting and believing the same God that came through for Jesus, the same Father that came through for Jesus, will come through for us too. So come Holy Spirit. We pray for a new work here. I pray that you would consecrate this space, Lord Jesus. Consecrate this community. Make this holy ground. Make us holy people. Make us fruitful people. People that are stepping into the work you've called us to do. Make us kings and priests that leave this place and go bless schools and neighborhoods and workplaces, retirement communities, our volunteer spots, our different organizations. Lord, would we be human beings who are full of the Holy Spirit, given over to your purposes, instruments of your grace and mercy. And Lord, thank you that sometimes you invite us to take steps of faith to do the miraculous works you want to do. Give us eyes to see your signature moments, your spirit at work around us. We ask in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Amen.